0: Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. All right, superhumans. It's Boomer. We're back with the second episode of the year, and I'm fresh off the plane from South Korea. In fact, I'm a little tender right now with some jet lag. Last week, we had Dr. Andrew Hill on the show talking about all things neuroscience. This week, we're going to transition into something a little different, and that's the field of light. If you recall, we've had many episodes on the show on the discussion of light in general or the subject of light. But when I made a list of experts in the field of light that I wanted to speak with, this person's name was at the top. My guest today is Dr. Alexander Wunsch, and he is a physician and light biologist who lives in Heidelberg, Germany. Dr. Wunsch researches, consults, and teaches on the effects of light, color, and radiation upon human and environment. And he also serves as the deputy managing director of the Max Luscher Foundation in Luzern, Switzerland. So you can imagine I've wanted to have this conversation for a while and at points, my excitement may come across as nerves, but thank you to Mark Richter and the guys over at FlowGrade for the introduction. Now, what did we get into? Of course, we talked about chronobiology, Zeitgeber, circadian rhythms, blood irradiation therapy, and really looking into LED lights versus incandescent lights, specifically as it relates to red light, and then talking about the lucir test, what that all means. Dr. Wunsch was an absolute blast to speak with. So I want to encourage you guys to go check out the show notes, which are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash light, L-I-G-H-T. Enjoy my episode with Dr. Alexander Wunsch. Dr. Wunsch, welcome to the show. Hi. Before we get started, I have to give thanks to Mark Richter and Max Gosler for the introduction, because without them, this conversation wouldn't happen. So thank you, guys. Uh, Dr. Wunsch, I would love to get started uh, with a question that came after I saw you speak at FlowFest this year. And you were mentioning something, uh, what I would describe as a tuning fork. Do you mind just going into a little bit as to what that that fork is and what it does for you? Um. So, I think the topic of
1: of uh, of our conversation today should be photobiology and. Um, the tuning fork is some uh, device which belongs more to the vibrational medicine stuff so uh, it is not really an answer you can expect from me uh, which perfectly fits into the photobiology um, environment mm-hmm. but uh, f- for me the 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 use of a tuning fork came from a, f- a friend of mine, um, a mathematician from Switzerland, Hans Cousteau. I met him in the early 1990s, and um, he introduced me into the world of um, natural frequencies, and i was interested these days in natural frequencies because i had invented um, a cranial electrostimulation unit and i was uh, in search of um, treatment parameters uh, and this unit works worked and still works with frequencies um, in the range of our brain waves and so I was looking for natural frequencies or frequencies derived from occurrences in nature, and so I found it very interesting. This concept, uh, which which uh, dates back to um, the days of Pythagoras, um, it has to do with with the law of, of octave, and um, it is this system I had been introduced by Hans Cousteau is called the Cosmic Octave and it's a mathematical procedure to calculate the, the rhythms of, for example, the Earth, of other celestial bodies into a range where you can experience them as frequencies or as tones where you can hear them, for example. So if you want to listen to the rotation frequency of planet Earth, you first have to make a decision which kind of rotation you want to to listen to. There is the rotation which lasts one day or 24 hours or 86,400 seconds, there is another rotation which lasts um, around 365.25 days, which is called the year, and there is also a much, much longer rotation, I think it's 25,720 years, which is called the platonic year. And if you made your decision, let's say you want to listen to the quality of the day, then you have to divide one by 86,400 seconds, which gives you mm, a very, very slow frequency, too slow uh, to hear it with your ears. And so you have to double this frequency several times again and again and again until you end up in the range of the audible frequencies. And this, for example, will bring you to 194.18 hertz, which is one octave of the day frequency of our planet Earth. And to make it easier, there is a tuning fork, which produces at 20 degrees Celsius, exactly this 198.1 Uh, 149.18 hertz and there are other tuning forks I think I have 27 of them of them for um, many of the celestial bodies in our solar system and so you can do some frequency meditation you can use them for Um, phonophoresis, which is a kind of acupuncture without needles where you can put the vibrating tuning fork with its stem directly onto the um, acupuncture points. You can um, use them for attunement if you have someone you want to talk with and you are not in accordance. You can give the other person exactly the same tuning fork than than, do, than you have. Mm, you both hold the tuning forks in your hands and experience if there is a kind, if of, it works as a kind of antenna for the same vibrational um, content, for the same um, information. So you can use them in many different ways.
0: It's incredible. I almost feel like we'll have to have a, a separate show just to talk about that. Uh, now, Dr. Wunsch, how did you become interested in photo, uh, photobiology? Because you're a practicing medical physician. Where did photobiology come into the picture?
1: Oh, <clears throat> so now uh, the question makes a bit more sense because uh, I already uh, prepared the ground so in fact, I started with this um, slow frequency or low frequency range for the um, the human brain waves, and then I discovered the um, the higher frequencies where we um, have experience uh, transmitted by our ears, and finally I was looking for a kind of. Total experience, not only the brain waves plus the music frequency. I also wanted to have much higher frequencies. I found them finally in the range of the rainbow colors. And so my first interest was focused on the diligent therapeutical use of colored light. And so this, for me, was the the start where I began to become interested in
0: photobiological questions. Mm-hmm. And I, you were one of the early adopters. I, I mean, frankly, when I came to... Learn about photobiology it was through you and through some of the interviews you had done. How did you begin to, well, study this for one, but also apply it within your your medical practice?
1: Um, I would not say that I am an early adopter regarding photobiology. If you look back um, one hundred years or one hundred fifty years then you already will find that um, physicians mm, got interested in the effects of light, uh, got interested in the effects of heliotherapy, as an example, got interested in, in the effects of uh, UV mm, photobiology in the beginning of the 20th century, began uh, to become interested in, in the the other end of the rainbow um, spectra so the short wavelengths are found um, on the ultraviolet side the longer wavelengths which can be um, found at the longer wavelength part of the spectrum in the infrared in the near infrared and longer infrared waves Um, I think uh, infrared therapy or thermal therapy had been in use um, since humans uh, had learned to produce fire. Mm -hmm. And since Kellogg's days in the late 19th century, um, artificially produced uh, luminous heat rays coming from... Uh, from incandescent lamps, had been used by Kellogg and um, other um, guys from the medical profession. Um, so I am, for sure, that I am not an early adopter of photobiology. But what uh, I think is is different that my approach today is still that I think sunlight is uh, very healthy and helpful as long as we follow some um, important rules. And that that I, for example, am um, not only convinced, but uh, I know from my personal experience, I've collected since over 25 years now, that colored light is also very interesting in uh, the therapeutical context, which is something you would not necessarily expect from a modern photobiologist.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Dr. Wunsch, if it's okay with you, I'd like to go into the aspect of sunlight, and then we can go into colored light in just a second. But... Sunlight. I, I know growing up in the United States, I was told to put on my suntan lotion and that UVB is evil. Is there a right prescription of sunlight for everyone? I.e., how much sun do we need to be getting per day? And is sunscreen evil?
1: Um, <clears throat> there, there are no general rules for the use of sunlight and there are several restrictions with regards to the use of uh, suntan lotion in in my from my point of view so there are there are people there are individuals uh, who should not um, use sunlight as for example the primordial source for vitamin d production so you, we all know that that uh, humans mm, exhibit different skin types, and there is the Fitzpatrick uh, skin typing, which ranges from one to six. And the skin type one, um, <clears throat> people with skin type one um, have this Celtic, Celtic. Uh, Mm, appearance with with reddish hair, with um, a very low content of, of um, skin pigment, with greenish eyes, and so th- these uh, individuals might be very sensitive to sunlight, and they might not even benefit from uh, the use of sunlight. But there are, I would say, more than 95% of of humans um, normally should um, get some benefit from diligent sunlight use.
0: Mm -hmm. And diligent sunlight use, just to clarify that a little bit more for people, is that 20 minutes a day? Is it an hour a day? Or you see some of these people now bathing naked for multiple hours a day. How much sun is there a range that would work for people?
1: Um, well, it depends on what you want to achieve in, in being exposed to the sunlight. If if you look for the vitamin D production, um, then you have to take care that there is enough ultraviolet B contained in the sunlight, in the actual sunlight. For example, you asked me for the weather in Heidelberg today. Um, It definitely was not the right weather to have any vitamin D production, even if you would expose your full body naked to the sun during noontime. So in vitamin D winter, um, which means when the shadow of, of your body standing upright um, is longer than your body is high, then uh, there is not presumably not enough uh, ultraviolet B contained in sunlight uh, in order to produce vitamin D. But when the season is right, then you should start with three to five minutes during noontime Noontime means that the the sun uh, has uh, its highest elevation angle, which means that for the sun rays there is the shortest way through the atmosphere. And this, in consequence, um, means that you have the highest mm, content of ultraviolet B, of the shortwave ultraviolet, which is crucial for the vitamin D production. And um, if you start with uh, five minutes exposure and watch yourself um, after the exposure and you have no signs of an overdosage, no uh, itching skin, no, no signs for skin stress and no reddening of the skin, then you could try to increase this uh, exposure time um, the next day by an increment of, let's say, two to five minutes, depending on your individual sensitivity. So um, to make things short, you have to find out your individual um, susceptibility and um, tolerance to sunlight by diligently increasing the exposure time from one to the other day. And an increment could be um, f- for example, five minutes. Mm-hmm. So after for a skin type two or sk- skin type three person, which is the Caucasian uh, skin type, there should be a maximum exposure, of 20 minutes a day Mm -hmm. because uh, it makes no sense to stress your skin longer than that. For people with darker skin, skin type 5 or 6, exposure time of, uh, of 40 to 60 minutes could make sense depending on the individual conditions
0: and in terms of exposure are we talking about exposing just the face or ideally as much of the body as possible is there any guidance as much
1: to- as the, of the body as possible because if you would try to to serve the the demand of, for vitamin d just using the skin for example then you would have to um, to expose yourself seven times to ten times longer you would still not have the same positive effect and you definitely would have a very negative effect to your your skin and the face. So um, the, the formula is you should try to have the the highest UVB content in sunlight, which is achieved, um, yeah, in, in mid, middle Europe, for example, <clears throat> around between 12 and 1 o'clock um, during noontime. And the larger the area of the body, um, the shorter the total duration of the treatment can be. And this is what we want to achieve. We want to have um, an exposure as short as possible in order to achieve the highest vitamin D production possible in this exposure time.
0: Mm-hmm. And Dr. wunsch during this time of year, and I, I normally live in Amsterdam, I'm not there today. But this time of year, it's quite difficult to even get sun. You mentioned this with Heidelberg as well. What are your feelings on some of these UVB lamps or even looking at things like blood ir- irradiation therapy as well as um, you know, supplementing vitamin D as an alternative to get vitamin D during the winter?
1: First question is, do you need the same uh, amount of vitamin D during the wintertime compared to summertime? Um, And the answer to this question depends um, quite a lot on your understanding of vitamin D. If you think that vitamin D is uh, some prerequisite for good health, then you would try to supplement or try to irradiate uh, either blood or or skin. But blood irradiation, by the way, um, will not be as um, efficient with regards to vitamin D production compared to um, the skin irradiation because there is a very specific mechanism um, which is responsible for the um, photosynthesis of vitamin D which is hosted in the skin cells uh, around the the basal cell membrane of the skin. And this will not be addressed when you irradiate the blood. There are other also positive effects of direct blood irradiation. But uh, since this is not accessible for um, you and me without the help of a physician, Mm. I think it's not that uh, interesting to talk about blood irradiation in, in this context of vitamin D um, production in the organism. Um, the question is if if you can have some UVB lamps, if you can find UVB lamps which are balanced in their spectral distribution in a way that you have more ultraviolet B than ultraviolet A, then they could be um, put. They could provide a feasible means to um, have some skin-based um, photosynthesis of vitamin D. Otherwise, um, supplementation could could um, be an alternative. But again, the question which which hangs over, over all these um, things is, do you need vitamin D throughout the year in the same concentration? Or uh, do you understand vitamin D rather as a signaling molecule which signals um, your body that it's summer, with high amounts of ultraviolet radiation around you in a similar way than melatonin signals to your cells that it's dark outside and around you. Mm.
0: And Dr. Wunsch, do you mind elaborating on your point here about uh, vitamin D being more of a signal of summertime rather than a focus for optimal health? Because some of us are sitting here getting their vitamin D tests in winter and being told to to supplement quite a bit. Uh, is that not how you see it in your own practice?
1: So my personal approach is, in fact, that vitamin D are yeah. My personal approach is um, is predominantly a natural one. Mm-hmm which means that uh, I first try to look into nature and to understand what's going on there. And then I want to um, consider if it makes sense to reproduce what I found in nature or if I am allowed to uh, follow a different path. And in in the context of vitamin d there are some good arguments to uh, um, to keep the um, the pendulum some of the pendula in in our organism uh, in a naturally swinging and moving way uh, which means that that uh, under the viewpoint of living more or less natural, it is just uh, the fact that our ancestors would have higher vitamin D levels during summertime and lower vitamin D levels during wintertime. And when we try to adjust the vitamin D concentration to the same level throughout the year, then we take away one ultra Diane zeitgeber
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what do I mean with ultra Diane zeitgeber? There are some signals from our environment. And light is called a zeitgeber. Zeit is a German word. Uh, it means time. And Geber, again a German word, means a giver. So light is a time giver. It's light. It's one of the important creators of chronobiological reactions. And so the sunrise and sunset is a is a natural Zeitgeber, but the seasonal changes, the alterations in uh, environmental characteristics are also Zeitgebers, not Diane um, referring to the day, Diane Zeitgebers, but seasonal Zeitgebers. And if we look at the mm, vitamin D as a transmitter molecule for environmental, seasonal signals, then it would take away this function of a seasonal Zeitgeber if you try to achieve the same, um, if you try to reach the same concentration throughout the year. It is um, not necessarily bad because people who live in equatorial regions they have might have this constant vitamin d concentration throughout the year but i think who um, who had who people people who lived uh, in equatorial regions they could tell us that it's definitely something different if you have um, equalized and homogenized um, climate conditions and and solar irradiation conditions throughout the year or if you're living in regions far away from the equator where you have definitely seasons in a quality as we experience them for example in the in Europe or in many other regions on our planet
0: mm-hmm. so if uh, just uh... From my own life, I lived in Singapore for six years, dead on the equator, and I wouldn't say that my vitamin D levels were anywhere near where they are now in terms of just quantum, but it is the key takeaway from what you just said there, Dr. Wunsch, is that other factors other than vitamin D level will have an effect on how we feel and be uh, more of a signaling molecule or signaler to the time of year than just vitamin D level. Do I have that right?
1: So first thing we can learn from your experience is that um, even people uh, living close to the equator um, practice a non-equatorial lifestyle um in terms of of uh, the use of clothing for example otherwise if mm-hmm. you would if you if you would have adapted to equatorial lifestyle this would have had consequences to your uh, dressing n- n- behavior mm-hmm. so uh, if your vitamin d level near the equator is um, low this just means that you do not live really uh, under equatorial conditions. And this uh, shows on the other hand that we kind of uh, have managed to have equatorial conditions in terms of we have 20 plus degrees of Celsius in almost any building um, worldwide throughout the year so we just took away these natural uh, environmental stimuli for example with regards to temperature mm-hmm. and um, people do not um, behave uh, in an adapted uh, way they they dress uh, in the equatorial regions like they would dress in in, in uh, New York or in in Paris or in in London, um, and so we, we, we just uh, equaled it out or just took away the, the natural stimuli.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And this makes it even more difficult to decide with regards to vitamin D level, as an example, what to do. Would it be good to go out even if it's cold outside? Would it be better to not dress uh, according to the to the international rooms when, uh, rules when you are living um, under equatorial skies? What what would be the best? So the 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 larger the distance to natural behavior, the um, more important supplementation, for example, will become. Okay. And yeah, this is a very complex question which cannot be answered
0: uh, that easily. (laughs) I've been known to ask a few of those. Uh, Dr. Wunsch, you rightfully transitioned into sort of the circadian aspect that I wanted to go into next when you mentioned Zeitgebers. In preparation for this conversation, I watched a talk that you gave on photoendocrinology. And in that, you said that the beginning of the earth is the beginning of chronobiology. I'd love to understand just a little bit more about what you mean by that but also get into some of the aspects of light's knock-on effects to hormones other than vitamin D, if you don't mind. Our sponsor for today's show is one of the two brands of blue light blockers that I actually recommend using. And I've had the CEO, Matt Maruka, on the show before, and we got into a two-hour-long discussion, which I think to this day is the longest episode of the Decoding Superhuman podcast. But his company, Raw Optics, has made blue light blockers sexy. In fact, I know they worked because I've seen the test results. And the beauty of their product is is that blue light doesn't get in. And if any amount of blue light gets in, that Netflix show that you're watching late at night, that book that you're reading, that email that you're answering is disrupting your sleep. So where do you get yours? Head over to rawoptics.com, plug in the code BOOMER. You'll get 15% off your order. Enjoy. Um <clears throat> Yeah, the,
1: with, with this uh, with saying that the beginning of the Earth is the beginning of chronobiology, uh, it means that uh, as soon as the mass of our planet began to rotate um, around itself, And began to spin around the the sun. In this early days of our planet Earth, there was already um, a very important influence coming from sunlight. So, evolution did not really start with uh, the first uh, living cells, evolution started um, before. In a way that, for example, when, when you think about um, a planet which which is made from rocks, these rocks, they will uh, heat up during the daytime and they will cool down during nighttime, um, which is an influence nagging on the uh, structural integrity of the rocks constantly uh, throughout days and nights in their um, ongoing um, alternating uh, sequence and so um, it was from the moment on where matter on our planet was able to react um, in a specific way to these influences of of, uh, changing radiation conditions and so on um, it was For example, especially when when life um, came onto the stage on our planet, it was crucial to kind of foresee when the next cycle starts and when this cycle ends, the actual cycle ends. And so um, light, sunlight, um, was the paramount, Zeitgeber, because sunlight is the primordial source of energy, and this primordial source of energy causes an energy flow and an energy distribution, which can be attributed to the fact that the earth is rotating uh, around uh, its own axis, and this rotation creates the day and night cycle, and this day and night cycle leads necessarily to uh, an energy flow. So the energy is, you could say, kind of stirring the conditions of liquids, of of, uh, matter on this planet, and this is especially important um, when the first life forms came into existence.
0: Mm-hmm. This is
1: incredible. And being prepared um, is just crucial for all the life forms. So if a plant, for example, or even a bacterium, even a, a single cell in water is not prepared, that uh, the sunlight will come up um, during the next hour or so, the, um, the metabolism in this cell is lagging. Um, so so there is a kind of reaction shift which results from not being fully adapted to the temporal patterns in your environment.
0: Do you mind going into that a little bit more? Because it sounds like if you're not being fully adapted to your the temporal patterns in your environment, that sounds slightly a bit like jet lag. And all- when, when
1: you when you come late, it's uh, it's always a negative thing. Um, so, for example, if if you miss the train and you have to run in order to reach the train, mm-hmm. you need you need a lot of energy. Um, your energy expenses are um, exceedingly high if you have to to run instead of sitting um, comfortably accommodated into your seat in uh, in the train, mm-hmm. and this is what what uh, can act as as a picture. So if if there, let's go back to the plant. If the plant knows. Uh, from its inner clock, that the sun will come up um, in an hour or so. The metabolism has to be modified because this this constant uh, alternating um, flow of energy automatically demands from plants and other living creatures that they react to this um, alternating uh, characteristics of the energy. So you have, for example, when we talk about just about temperature, we have maybe even too much, too high temperatures during the daytime when the sun is shining onto the matter. Mm-hmm. And we might experience exactly the opposite: a lack of warmth, a lack of heat during the nighttime. So um, the organism would try to cool itself down during the daytime, but uh, it had would have to heat itself up during the nighttime. And mm-hmm. this again is a picture for all the different um, activities in our metabolism. We we have to be active during the day, and we have to repair ourselves during the nighttime. We have to eat during the day, and we have to digest during the nighttime. We um, we have to live under the influence of stress hormones during the daytime and we have to switch off the stress hormones uh, in order to uh, give chance to the immune cells to become active during the nighttime so everything in life is just uh, can just be compared to uh, a pendulum um, which could be uh, an example for any kind of parameter in our metabolism um, activation Sedation, um, eating, digesting, moving, resting, and so on and so on. And you can look at all the hormones, you can look at all our um, features of, of life, they are all submitted to this basic principle the alternation of light and darkness, the alternation of Activity
0: and rest, and so on. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for elaborating there, Doctor Wunsch. Color therapy and the use of colors in in treatments and therapies. I would love to just delve into that a little bit more with you. Just Just a second. So,
1: I'm not uh, wh- wh- before you switch over to color therapy. Sure. I just would. Uh, would finalize what I said before. Um, as soon as you fall out of the rhythm, as soon as you get desynced, as soon as you're not in sync, you will lose a lot of energy. And this is the, mm, the core meaning of chronobiological functions.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The better you are synchronized to the environmental conditions the more energy your organism is able to save so you are mm, working on an optimal energy level if you are optimally synced to your environment and this is the core of chronobiology and all the circadian stuff and uh, even coming back to vitamin D and coming back to uh, um, exposure to sunlight, if your environment does not pre- provide sunlight, then um, you should not think that you have to follow the same rules which apply during summertime. So some people, they just feel during wintertime that they get depressed SAD seasonal affective disorder or some other symptoms in this direction, they will benefit, benefit um, most probably from light exposure. And others they just feel good by uh, hanging around um, being less active um, during the winter time compared to summertime. So it's all uh, subject to uh, um, our full individuality which, which you can find uh, amongst humans. And so it's not so easy to give stiff rules, mm-hmm. but uh, I think it's an intelligent way to look what would be natural and to ask yourself what feels better, the natural way
0: or the artificial way of life. And thank you for saying that, because I know there's a lot of people out there espousing that we should all get tons and tons of sunlight every single day. And for a lot of us, that's actually quite a stressor to even find that sunlight. So I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that in each case, it may be very individual. So thank you, Doctor Wunsch. Mm-hmm. Uh, going on to color therapy and how to use it because I think much of the audience is familiar with, well, certainly infrared and near infrared has been getting a lot of attention, but do you mind just giving us an overview on how you'd use some of these other colors in therapeutic practice? In a show about all things light, it would be a travesty if we didn't talk about blocking blue light. And one of my tools for blocking blue light at night is blue light blocking glasses, of course, right? Everybody has them these days. One of my favorite pairs or favorite brands out there is Raw Optics. The CEO, Matt Maruka, has been on the show before, and I really, really love his products. So head on over to Raw Optics' website and use the code BOOMER for a discount. And back to the show with Dr. Wunsch. So um, my approach
1: was a kind of different one compared to uh, other photobiologists. Uh, the history of photobiology um, was dominated by the effects of ultraviolet light because ultraviolet light gives you skin burn. Ultraviolet light can even kill you if you overdose it intensively. Um, so it was uh, a predominant uh, effect that if you take light from the sun and shine it onto the skin that the first thing you you will experience is a sunburn from the coming from the ultraviolet B radiation and uh, this was also the reason why the photobiologists uh, decades ago were claiming that ultraviolet B is the bad part in sunlight mm-hmm. And all the other parts are mm, beneficial or um, have no effect at all. And um, they thought, photobiologists decades ago, they thought that UVB is the bad guy. Uh, The complicated thing was that it's also responsible for producing vitamin D But um, the beneficial part in the spectrum is the the luminous uh, red and infrared. um, And what is right in the middle, in between, between the ultraviolet and the infrared, the visible part, namely, would have almost no effect. And um, I personally started... Uh, with my exploration of exactly this visible part, I started my approach to photobiology. Started um, with becoming interested in the effects of the different colors, um, the effects of visible light, and so um, I got in contact with uh, Dinsha's Spectrochrome. Chromotherapy, which is still in the mm, official um, idea, uh, nothing else than quackery. So many of, of uh, my colleagues in the medical realm and even more scientists which have more um, physical approach and purely scientific approach um, they still think that um, colored light uh, used for treatment is quackery but all those who do think that it's uh, just that um, they supposedly do not have experienced uh, the effects of colored light on their own. So um, I was kind of frustrated by the pill-based uh, medicine mm, 30 years ago or so. And mm-hmm. so I was even more interested in the effects of beneficial frequencies. um, And I found uh, some of these frequencies in the spectral range of the rainbow. And in the meantime, it is uh, beyond any questioning that, for example, red light and the close nearby lying near-infrared light is in fact very effective Um, there is even a name for it it's photobiomodulation Mm. red light therapy is uh, very um, fancy nowadays (laughs) but we also know for example that blue light has a very specific effect because It stimulates some specific cells in our retina, which are directly connected to our midbrain, which is uh, governing our vegetative uh, functions, our sympathetic and parasympathetic reactions in the body. So um, in the last um, years, I just can witness that um, the effects of the visible part of the um, electromagnetic spectrum um, fills up. So the gaps for certain colors are closed more and more, become closed more and more. So filled up, not closed, become filled up more and more. So in the meantime, I think we have a lot of indicators that it's not only the red light, it's not only the blue light, but all the different colors which form the rainbow, um, which which feed our eyes with, with uh, visible radiation, have specific uh, effects onto certain molecules in our body. And we ha- not only have our photoreceptors in the eye. We also have a lot of different molecules <coughs> flowing in our blood which act as photoreceptors, as chemical photoreceptors. So there is enough evidence to say that it's not only the red light or the near-infrared light which is effective and it's not only the ultraviolet light. It's the full spectrum between ultraviolet and long infrared rays, which have specific effects and execute specific effects onto our organisms. Yeah, and so I was especially interested in the visible part of the spectrum in chromotherapy, interested in using colored light, because colored light is mm, mm, much easier in, in handling for example, compared to the ultraviolet B radiation, which can be overdosed quite easily. And it's very hard to overdose colored light, especially if we talk about colored light from green into the longer wavelength direction. Mm -hmm.
0: And so, Dr. Wunsch, can we just double click on one of these uh particularly maybe green and just sort of some of the positive effects that therapeutic or some of these colors that most people may not be familiar with like green or even orange uh, in terms of what they may have in terms of benefits
1: yeah let's let's in fact double click on green what what comes to your mind when you think about green where would you go if you would 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 uh, look for green in in nature.
0: Oh, I would go right out into the woods in my backyard in Amsterdam. Ah. Bingo. Uh, so if if you
1: take a walk in the woods, um, does it feel
0: good? Feels incredible. I I enjoy it. I, I know the Japanese have been doing this for a long time and even had a name for it. But I love it,
1: and I think um, <clears throat> most uh, human beings mm, get a positive feeling from being in the woods, being in the forest, being surrounded by um, green leaves and plants. And it's uh, it's being in the forest, for example. It not it not only has an effect uh, with regards to some uh, odorous or um, um, chemical um, molecules which are which f- are transported in the air. it's not only the biochemical environment you can find a very very specific spectral distribution when you are, in the forest and this spectrum distribution varies throughout the year. So we have seasonal changes in green, but uh, all in all, there is a very specific effect of green, which gives your organism the information. Um, yeah, you can, you can say it like everything is in the, in the green range. Um, there is no danger there is the blue light um, would signal some um, danger on one hand, and we know as well that red light can also have some some attribution into in, the dangerous uh, realm. But in the green, there is everything balanced. It's the center of the rainbow. It has an equal distance from the violet um, and from the red. So if red um, stands for activation, for sympathetic um, action or sympathetic effects and violet uh, represents parasympathetic effects, then green is right in the middle, which means for the organism, there is a balanced activity between parasympathetic and sympathetic uh, effects. And and this is, um, in a way, the direction for all of us to go. If we want to stay healthy, mm. we should mm, achieve to be not constantly stressed as well as being not constantly st- mm, relaxed mm. or depressed or inactive. So the golden path right, lies in the middle and nature gives us this golden path uh, sign by using green as a signalling colour. And uh, if the next question would be, uh, where do I use the green or in which cases do I use the green? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The answer is, if I have enough time and someone is stressed, Uh, This person will experience relief from green as well as a person uh, who is mm, tired and uh, excessively mm, sedated, for example, as well. The green would bring this person into the right direction. Every time I don't really know what to do specifically, um, just requires the mm, treatment
0: with green just as a simple rule of thumb. And Dr. Wunsch, are you using LED lights or incandescent in these cases? Uh, What what types of lights can people get if they wanted to experience this? So for um,
1: chromotherapy, I always use filtered incandescent light um, because LED light um, does not provide the same photobiological quality compared to filtered incandescent light. Mm -hmm. But uh, I have to specify this because, for example, in, in nature when you are out in the forest, you will not only have green, even if your eyes experience a green environment, you will always have green and near-infrared in addition. Mm-hmm. So this applies to almost all the colors you would be able to experience in nature Uh, that it's not just a single color. It always comes together with near infrared. And this is the big difference. If you are using LEDs, for example, in the green range, there is a significant lack of the near infrared, which would be standard
0: uh, in nature. Brilliant. Thank you. One of the things you mentioned about red light was it has a tendency to turn on the sympathetic side of the nervous system. Is there a danger then in using red light at night before you go to bed? Um, so in
1: fact, all the light which is applied after sunset can have a negative impact on the circadian rhythms, of course. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So um, even if red light would be the light which is closest to the natural condition when we think about the environmental um, conditions of our ancestors, in fact, when they had... um, Light after sunset, it was a light quality with enhanced um, spectra in the long wavelength range, so it would be the color of fire, and this is pretty close to red light. Mm-hmm. Um, but all artificial light. Um, as long as it's visible, will have an impact on circadian rhythmicity. And so I would not um, recommend to apply therapeutical doses of red light before you go to bed.
0: Okay. okay. Dr. Wunsch, the last thing I wanted to ask you about before breaking today is... Something that Mark brought up when I saw him in Finland this year, and it's the Lücher test. And forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. But... Oh, it's it's Lütscher test. Yes. So
1: mm, pronunciation was quite okay.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
1: And you have the, the Umlaute
0: in German, the Ü. Can you say Ü? Ü. The Lütscher Lucha, yeah I'm getting Lucha test yeah I, I should for my ancestral heritage purposes be able to speak German better than I do uh, but the lucher test how do you use it in your practice and if you don't mind just explaining briefly for people what it is yeah would be appreciated um yeah The the Lücher
1: test has been invented um, over 70 years ago from Max Lücher. Uh, He was a psychologist uh, and philosopher from Switzerland. Uh, um, He was interested in psychology even before he became a student. And he discovered in the late 1940s that he could use um, colors as an examination system. And um, he worked on this test, uh, which is named after him uh, for many, many years, and refined it even more. And uh, the the major thing is that um, he discovered quite early um, that... He was looking at the type of interaction between humans and their uh, human environment, more or less. And uh, you can act in communication with others, uh, focused on yourself, or you can act focused on the other. And you can act in an active way as well as in a passive way. And this heteronomous and autonomous uh, approach, combined with an active and a passive approach, gives you four quadrants uh, in a system, which consists of four different types of communicating with your environment. Um, and this was the first step in Max Lucher's system. That he had the definition: is the interaction focused on you or on the other person? Is it active or is it passive? And um, so you can for each of these quadrants which result from um from from this um precondition, you can uh, attribute one of the four mm, psychological basic colors. So one mm, is the blue, the green, the other, the third is the red, and the fourth is the yellow. And when when I now show you a certain color, and I ask you do you like this color or saying, uh, explaining it in the way the, the color test really works. For example, I show you a set of different colors and I ask you, which color do you prefer most? So for example, think of blue, green, red, and yellow. When I ask you, which color do you prefer most? What would be your answer? Green green so this answer gives me much more information about your inner setting than uh, if i would ask you uh, boomer how to how do you feel today <laughs>
0: and that would be a much longer answer as well
1: it would be a much longer answer and you would think about it much longer because um, you always would bear in mind that uh, I have an idea if I ask you something like that. Mm -hmm. And this is uh, in in all psychological tests where you test the personality which are verbally based. Um, The one who is asked uh, very quickly develops an idea why she or he is asked a certain question. And so you think even twice uh, or even more often before you give me an answer because you know that I want to find out something about your personality mm-hmm. um, just by the way I'm asking you. And this is the great advantage of the Lüscher of test that I don't talk about the content. I just show you a basic principle which has a certain meaning um, throughout the the different cultural uh, contexts and everything. Um, We have a universal meaning of the color red, Mm -hmm. as well as a universal meaning of the color blue. And I can link the red to activity and I can and can link the blue to sedation and relaxation. And uh, I can do the same for the other colors. And when I just ask which color do you prefer or which color do you dislike most, then you give me answers you would never think of. But uh, you give me... Answers referring to your inner core. And this is the great advantage that I can take this test, I can make this examination in, let's say, uh, five minutes or so. Mm-hmm. And I, I get um, <clears throat> a very rich description of the inner emotional structure of the person I tested. And this um, can be used in a beneficial way in the context of, for example, uh, medicine, because it's an old given rule that the better the diagnosis, the better the therapy will be. If you have only... Um, diagnostical means which refer to the body, then you necessarily has, have to ignore, or you will ignore necessarily, uh, I think, an even more important part of a person. Because uh, what makes us is not our body even if if the mass media try to tell us that beauty and uh, shiny appearance uh, is the most important thing in life, this will not hold. This might hold as long as people are young. But as we grow older, we will experience that what makes ourselves meaningful is not our body. It's uh, more about about our emotions, about our thinking. And here we can optimize ourselves. We can make corrections in the, I would say, in the emotional energy flow. Um, As long as we have a a, a means to objectify how our emotional energies really flow, in fact, and how we respond to others Um, if we are angry, if we are happy, if we think that our communication is successful, There are so many different aspects uh, spinning around our non-physical existence, which normally hide themselves from diagnostical tools. And for me, the Lücher test is exactly this diagnostical tool, which gives me access to these hidden... Uh, features of a person and this helps a lot in my medical
0: activities and in my therapeutical practice dr wunsch this is incredible Uh, we've covered so much today and i want to be cognizant of your time uh I would love if you're up for it to come down to Heidelberg sometime and, and dig a little bit more into the Lücher tests and you can help me work on my German pronunciation as well. Uh, it would be, it would be my honor to come down there and just experience this firsthand. But thank you for the, just feel invited. Thank you for all of this. This has been an incredible education on photobiology as well as the Lucher test and color therapy. I appreciate your time. Thank you
1: for asking all these diligent questions.
0: To all the superhumans listening to this, have an absolutely epic day. All right, now that episode left me with a lot to do in the field of light and a lot of action points, but also had a little bit of fun flipping through a book about the Luscher test as well. Afterwards, you can check out the show notes once again at decodingsuperhuman.com/light. If you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the Decoding Superhuman podcast, can you guys do me a favor? Just head over to iTunes. Just do it right now or whenever you can. It'll take a matter of seconds and leave a five-star rating. Leave a comment. Share some love. It really helps get the word out about decoding superhuman and really elevating the human experience through health. Thank you from my, the bottom of my heart for tuning in today. And share this with a friend. Share it on Facebook. Share it on TikTok. Now that I'm on there, but let's have some fun with this and get it around. Thank you, guys. Have an epic day and choose health.